Matthew 5, verses 1 through 16 in the NIV. Let's read together. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evils against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, let me add uh, my welcome to those of you in the building and indeed those of you at home uh, as we turn. We're going to look at the last little chunk, uh, the last paragraph or two. Uh, of that section, verses 3 through to 16. Um, but I wonder the rest read, and you'll see why um, as we go on. Um, here's a question as we begin. How big is your Christian vision? Uh, to put it another way, how comprehensive, how life-altering, how world-shaping do you believe the Christian faith uh, to be? To make it slightly more personal, how big a vision do you have for the place of the Christian life in your own personal experience? Now, of course, it could be that uh, this morning you come to uh, these verses um, as somebody who's still exploring the Christian faith, uh, trying to work out what you make of Christianity. Uh, and I guess that would make this a really good question for you as well, because you'd want to know, how big is this thing that I'm getting myself into? We're prone, I think, to, to imagine that uh, somehow uh, Christianity is to, be a, is to be a private, personal thing. Uh, keep your faith private. It's my spirituality, my faith, my salvation. But the, the words that we come to this morning, uh, these two very famous little sayings uh, of Jesus, uh, put a very different perspective in front of us. Um, three, three preliminaries before we get to the heart of, uh, of what Jesus is saying here. Um, the first preliminary is this. Notice the continuity here. That's why I wanted the whole section read from the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, useful as subheadings are in our Bible, sometimes they divide things that ought to go together. Uh, and when Jesus says here, you are the salt of the earth, the you he has in mind 
is the same group he's just been talking to in verses 11 to 12. I, the you who are insulted and persecuted because of their attachment to Jesus. I think that makes a little bit more sense of the way in which he realizes there's a danger of the salt becoming not salty, of the light covering itself up. And the you who are in danger of being persecuted because of their attachment to Jesus are the same group he's just been saying, live this way in the Beatitudes. Here are eight principles, eight characteristics for you to have if you're going to be a Christian follower. Indeed, eight characteristics you're going to have if you're going to be blessed. I recently heard those eight characteristics described in this way, I thought it was great, that in regard to sin, these are people who show deep conviction, frank confession, and joyful humility, which leads them to a new life characterized by by a new appetite for mercy and for love so that they then take on a new role as those eager to bring peace and those willing to accept hostility. So as we consider these two statements about salt and light, hear them in continuity with what's gone before. We're talking about those who display these characteristics in the Beatitudes. First, continuity. Second preliminary, identity. Notice that Jesus is stating a fact before he's commanding an action. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Not not you should be. Not you could be. Not look, look, sort of roll your sleeves up and try really hard to be. He says, you are. He states it as a fact. It is a given. It makes it an extraordinary thing to say, doesn't it? I mean, a bit later, Jesus will describe himself as the light of the world. And of course, we get that. Jesus was dazzling, wasn't he? Dazzling in his wisdom and his love. Dazzling in his gentleness and his mercy and grace. We can see how he is the light of the world, His light shone and dazzled and has continued to impress the world for centuries since. But here is Jesus in this moment, originally, gazing out at his motley band of fishermen and tax collectors and all the rest and saying to them, and by implication saying to us, motley band that we are too, you are the light of the world. Third, preliminary. We've seen the continuity of what goes before. We've seen the identity that he's, that he's stating, declaring. Third, notice that he's addressing the community. The yous here are plural. It's you folks, you lot, or y'all, if you want to go American on us. Now, there will be, and there are, of course, implications for all of us. But we need to see that that he speaks first to the community together. Um, I think that's good, isn't it, for us to hear in lockdown? To, to, To remind us that the way that things are now is not the way that it should be. 
not the way that Jesus intends, not the way that we can fully, properly be sort of the earth, life of the world. Because we can't be community in the way that Jesus intends. This disruption is considerable. So th there's great convenience in doing church on our sofa, in our pyjamas if we like. But we can't be community like that. We should be itching for the day when we can get back together, do the things that we can do together as a community in order to be salt and light in the way that Jesus intends. Okay, so they're preliminaries. Uh, the continuity, the identity, uh, and the community that God calls us to be. Now, let's get into the verses themselves, um, uh, which I'm going to take as a whole, um, but um, uh, sort of visit under two headings. I, I think there is basically, I think there's one basic truth uh, that Jesus is stating here. And I think what he's saying is, look, be different, and by being different, you will make a difference in the world. So first, be different. Don't lose your saltiness. Um, you stop and think about it. God's people have always been called to difference. Wind back to the Old Testament, uh, and we hear that call, be holy as I am holy, God says. And, and as he saves his people out of Egypt, he commands them, come out of them, leave behind Egyptian culture, leave behind, even though you've been there for hundreds of years, leave behind the culture in which you've been embedded. Come out of it. Leave it. Don't bring their customs with you. And as he prepares them to go into the promised land, to enter Canaan, he says, look, I'm sending you into that land, but, but don't conform to the patterns of the people of the land that, that are there already. No, be holy as I am holy. Be distinct. Be different. Be my people in a unique and particular way. God has always said that. And in all sorts of ways, the, the Sermon on the Mount acts as a kind of parallel to what he was doing in the Old Testament. You remember God gave the laws and the commandments, and particularly the Ten Commandments, as his sort of blueprint for the way in which the people were to be different. Uh, well, here is Jesus uh, giving... His, his new commandments, and indeed what follows, and we'll start looking at them uh, from next week, are, are like seven words, like the, seven, like the Ten Commandments. Now we have seven words from Jesus in this next section of the Sermon on the Mount, all of which are, are pointing out ways in which you can stand out, be a contrast. In a dark world, be light. In a decaying world, be salt. And you do get that, don't you? The, the, the point of the salt is to resist decay. Jesus was speaking in an era where there were no refrigerators. You wanted to keep your meat fresh, then you rubbed it in salt or you dipped it in a, in a solution of salt to kill off the bugs and stop it from decaying. You get enough salt into a bit of meat uh, and uh, you can turn it into biltong like they do in Africa. Uh, and I'm told that get enough in and the biltong would last forever, never go off. 
But of course, in order for salt to be useful like that, it's got to be salty. And in the face of, of opposition, in a culture that thinks and speaks and believes things that, that are hugely at odds with the Christian faith, the pressure to conform is huge. Because um, let's face it, if you hold to, to traditional Christian thinking in relation to sex or gender or the newborn or euthanasia or materialism, hold to traditional Christian teaching in those areas, it won't be long before your thinking gets noticed. Let people know that you believe in remaining a virgin until you get married, and then in one woman, one man for life, after marriage, well, it's pretty clear that you're thinking and planning to behave differently to the rest of the world. The, the world won't just think that you're different. The world will think that you're out of touch. Actually, maybe you're thinking that this sounds out of touch. Maybe you're thinking, look, look, how can the Christian faith possibly get a hearing if it holds to, to that sort of way of thinking? The church is going to be relevant. It's, it's got to adapt. It's got to listen to what the world is saying and, and adjust its teaching accordingly. No one's going to take the church seriously if it doesn't do that. Now, to some extent, I want to say, yes, the church does need to listen. It needs to listen very carefully to what the world is saying. We must understand the battles and the struggles that people face and experience in our contemporary world. If we fail to do that, then we will be insensitive and harsh. But on the other hand, I want to say, that the church must not adapt, mustn't change its traditional understanding of the things that God has laid down for us in the Bible. Adapting is the very thing that has made the church irrelevant. Because when the, when the church adapts its teaching to fit in with what the world is saying, when it, in effect, just becomes a sort of a faint echo of the world's point of view, then all it does is say what the world is already saying, but probably say it less well. And the church becomes irrelevant, has nothing fresh to say, nothing to catch our world's attention. The decline of the church in our nation here in the UK, directly related to its failure to hold to traditional Christian teaching. Its efforts to adapt and try and fit in and try and make itself relevant and contemporary has just made it lacking impact. It's no surprise, is it? You look across the country and you look at the churches by and large that, that have stayed with large-sized congregations. They are churches that are teaching traditional truth. You see that to a large extent, here in Cambridge. See, Jesus is not saying to us, be the sweetener of the world. 
Tell everyone God loves them and just leave it at that. In in the section of the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to come to uh, from next week on, Jesus speaks about the seriousness of sin. He speaks about the reality of judgment. He speaks about how hard it is to enter the kingdom of heaven. Of course, I'm not saying be awkward for awkwardness's sake, as if, as if there's some merit in being sort of difficult and objectionable. Now, the Beatitudes have corrected that error. But Jesus is saying to us here, be different. Look at it again. You are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So that's the first word that Jesus has for us, uh, to be different. And the reason that Jesus says be different is because that difference will make a difference. So secondly, make a difference. Don't conceal your light. You see, let's face it, if we are different in the way that Jesus would call us to be different, it won't be long before you get noticed. Uh, It went like this. What do you mean you and your boyfriend want separate rooms? Are you mad? Don't you like him? Um, Those pretty much uh, were the words spoken by um, my then-girlfriend Beth's uncle. Uh, As it happened, my... He was called Paul. He he owned a very nice hotel in Switzerland. Uh, And uh, he was at that point showing us one of his very nicest rooms. Uh, And when Beth explained that we wanted separate rooms, because at that point we weren't married, he was so flabbergasted, he collapsed onto the double bed as if his legs had given way. It was just overwhelming to him. Since he lived differently... And you can't help but get noticed. You challenge the assumptions that the world is making. Perhaps it's the challenge, perhaps it's the the desire to get ahead at all costs. And maybe the way that you are at work challenges that assumption. Because you generously help others rather than simply chase promotion. Or maybe it's the pleasure principle, challenged by a decision to use your annual leave to serve on a Christian summer camp. Or maybe it's the right to choose agenda, challenged by a Christian woman who keeps an unplanned pregnancy and with the support of her church family learns how to cope as a single mother. See, difference is costly. It rarely means taking the easy route, the comfortable route, the convenient route. But but, but in order for difference to be noticed, Christians need to engage. And I think that's what Jesus has in mind, uh, particularly with this second illustration here. Let me read it again. You are the light of the world. Jesus says, town built on a hill cannot be hidden, 
Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I've said already that to some degree, Jesus is saying here, look, look, this is the way it is. You are light. You can't help it. Uh, And just like a, a town up on a hill can't help but get seen, so you, if you'll be the Christian people, the Christian community that I've called you to be, well, you'll get noticed. Now, when Christians come together, when they do community the way that Jesus calls us to do community, something distinct happens. It'll be about what, what, what a Christian community does together, a food bank that they support, a baby steps group that they create, homeless project that they get behind. That's the kind of stuff they do. But, but it's, not, it's not just the organized bits. If you're in a small group, if you're, if you're working your way through this generosity project and you get to week three, then uh, you'll see on a video just a fantastic story about a church in Australia who came to support um, a couple with a brand new baby who'd just arrived as asylum seekers from Africa. No one organized it. None of the leadership or staff team told the church to do this. Just, just one of the church members spotted them struggling to find a taxi with a baby seat at the airport. Went and found them, gave them a lift, gave them their number, said, call me if you need anything. So they did. And the couple came to church, and the church just loved them and provided for them. It's a fantastic testimony. It just happened. It's just the way that the church did it because of the way that the church was. But for Christians to do that kind of stuff, Christians have got to be involved in the world. Jesus hasn't called us to be sort of dwelling in evangelical monasteries. We'll be huddled together, talk about God stuff, sing a few God songs, and then sneak out into the world and try and lie low until we can come back and do it again next week. It would be frankly balmy to do that. As balmy as it would be to to, to get yourself a light, bring it into your house, and shove a great big bowl over the top of it so nobody can see it. That's what Jesus says here. You'd be missing the whole point. Be in the world and let your light shine in the world. The the Australian um, evangelist... um, uh, he's dead now, but I remember hearing him tell a story, John Chapman, um, about a, a time he was working as a teacher. And he said that in the, in, the, in the first sort of few weeks of term, he noticed that the staff room at the school was a completely miserable place. Uh, there was barely any conversation, and the little bits of conversation that did go on there w- was moaning and groaning and, and gossiping and backstabbing. So... John decided to be different. Each day, he said, he got up early and he read the newspapers. 
scanning them so that he knew what was in there, and also on the lookout for a story that he could talk in a, in a positive and engaging way about. And then when everyone arrived in the staff room at break time, he'd get conversation going. A few months down the line, a colleague approached him and said, thank you. You've made such a difference. I used to hate coming into the staff room, but now I look forward to it. Now it's a really good place to be. And I have no doubt that John Chapman, being John Chapman, said, don't thank me. Actually, I'm not going to do an Australian accent. I think I can carry it off. Uh, don't thank me. It's all down to Jesus. Let me tell you a bit about him. Would you like to hear? It's a good reminder, isn't it, that this call to be salt and to be light it is a mix. It's a mix of the stuff that we do, loving acts, but it's also the words that we say, the testimony that we give to Jesus Christ. Um, the prayer meeting that David was mentioning earlier on, on Wednesday, we're going to revisit these verses. So I want to say a little bit more about some of the specific applications of the way that this might work out. Uh, but for now, time's uh, pretty much gone. Let's, um, let's end with a, uh, with a couple of final reflections. And for some of you uh, here in Cambridge, Cambridge being Cambridge, uh, th there are very distinct and unusual opportunities to be different and to make a difference. Uh, so I find myself thinking about organisations here like Christian Heritage, where, where academics are challenged to apply Christian thinking to their academic studies. Uh, who knows how leaders and writers and thinkers of the future uh, might be shaped and their difference then make a huge difference going forwards. Or, or I think about the Jubilee Centre, applying Christian thinking to, to social and public po policies, and sometimes having the opportunity to speak right into the heart of government as they do that. Who, who knows how those two organisations and others like them could impact our world for good as they seek to be salt and light in those unusual contexts that God has given them. But, but that's not the way it is for most of us. Most of us will set about a, a much quieter, but no less significant task of being salt and light where God has put us, our particular group of friends, our particular work context, our particular neighbourhood, in our particular family. But because Christ is at work in us and through us, it is no small thing that he has given us to do, to be salt and light, to be different and to make a difference in the immediate context where he has placed us. Don't underestimate the significance of that, the impact that you can make by being different, the impact that we can make as a community together if we're willing to be different. First, we have to hold on to the differences 
But despite all of the pressure from a world that would, would love to conform us to its way of doing things, despite all the fear from within us that would cause us just to go quiet, to shrink back, we have to overcome both of those in a willingness to, to be different so that we will be salt, slowing decay, preserving what's good, so there'll be light, illuminating a world that is otherwise in darkness. But we will only ever make a difference to our world if we are ready to be different from our world. But when we do that, according to Jesus, God will be glorified and our world, and we too, will be blessed. Let me lead us in a prayer. Our Father God, we, uh, we thank you for these words of Christ. Uh, we thank you both for the encouragement they are as he declares what you have made us to be, uh, to be salt, uh, to be light uh, in uh, the world where you have placed us. But we also feel uh, them to be a challenge because you tell us to, to be. Uh, and we pray for uh, the courage and the strength and the wisdom uh, to be different as you have called us to be. And we pray that we would do it uh, individually in the particular settings you've placed us. We pray that you'd help us to do it as a community together. Uh, even with the limitations, perhaps particularly in the limitations uh, of this lockdown. And we pray that it would achieve your good purposes and advance the kingdom uh, of your Son. In whose name we pray. Amen.